title of today's message is The Faith of a Father. The Faith of a Father, kind of a Father's Day message, but uh, something that I believe all of us, uh, men and ladies, boys and girls, we can all, all glean from as well. And uh, looking at the person of Jesus Christ and His power and how our faith should, go, uh, should grow through every encounter we have with the Lord. John chapter 4, we'll read a few verses. John 4, beginning in verse 46. John 4, verse 46 says, So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him, and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour which when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed and his whole house. This again is the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. As we look at this passage, a thought came to my mind reading and rereading this, that the faith of a father rests on the promises of God. The faith of a father rests on the promises of God. I know about you, when we think of uh, Father's Day and we think of our children, sometimes, as you know this, uh, being a father changes your life. The moment you become a father, everything changes for you, doesn't it, guys? It's a very uh, unique calling. It's a privilege, uh, really, to do it. And it's a responsibility that comes with it. And uh, we're thankful for the fathers. And we know that in this world, and in our society at least, uh, fatherhood is sometimes diminished. Uh, it's looked down upon even. But how important it is for there, a need for there to be fathers, and especially godly fathers who will lead their families and lead their children well. How important that is. But what we see here in this passage today is this nobleman, this royal officer who, uh, who whose child is sick near to death, and how he went to the Lord, he sought the Lord urgently, crying out for help. This kind of reminds me, of, really, with our children. I mentioned that we have uh, four children who are living, and we, we, pray, we praise God for each one of them, but for each of our, 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 the births of our children, out of our four children, three of them were in the NICU, uh, were in the neonatal ICU. Uh, Tabitha was the only one who wasn't. She was, in fact, it was weird. We were in a normal hospital room and we had no idea what to do. It was, seriously, we were so used to everything else in the NICU. But anyways, I'm going to tell you Linnea's story, partly because she's not here. She's still in Ohio with her grandparents. But when Linnea, our, our firstborn, she was born up in Crosby, up in northern Minnesota. And uh, when Linnea was born, um, it was just a long delivery. And I... You ladies get together, you can share your delivery stories and all that. There's, you could go on for a while, I'm sure. But with Linnea's story, it was uh, very different in a, in a way. Uh, after several hours of, of labor and all that, Linnea was finally born that uh, morning in October. Um, and uh, we uh, just were in joy. My wife and I were relieved, first of all, no more labor, but we were holding our little baby girl. But then it was just a few hours later when the, the nurse came. The, they were just basically had Linnea in another room and just trying to address her needs and all that. And all of a sudden, 
the nurse came and grabbed me, quickly come and see what's going on with her daughter. And I come in, and Linnea is having seizures three hours after birth. And it scared the living daylights out of us, as you can understand. It scared the nurses and the doctors. The doctor who, who delivered is a very dear friend of our family. And uh, so they quickly called, the, uh, they airlifted her uh, from Crosby to the St. Cloud Hospital to the, to the NICU there. And there, Linnea was there for about another four days, and they did all kinds of testing and things like that on her. And fortunately, at the end of the story, everything was good, but we have, to this day, no idea why those seizures took place. Um, but nonetheless, it's something that really shook us as, as parents for the first time uh, in seeing your child. I remember specifically of Mandy had an epidural, so she was in the, in the room. She couldn't leave. And so I came out with Linnea and brought her to the helicopter. And so I had a child in my arms one hour, and then in just a few hours, I'm seeing her being airlifted away to St. Cloud. And it was everything I could uh, to drive from Crosby, from the Brainerd area to St. Cloud, on the way trying to call family members, tell them to pray. We didn't know what was going on. And I, I had a hard time driving because I could barely see because of the tears in my eyes. And uh, there was actually a time I had to, I, I don't think I've even told Mandy this, but I had to pull over just for a little bit, gather myself and keep going on. And the Lord just worked one step at a time from that moment on. We had to simply just give ourselves and we had to give our daughter to Lord Linnea. And now look at Linnea now. <laughs> Her cookies say it all, right? <laughs> all right. If you're not here for our Wednesday night when Linnea does her cookies, you're missing out, okay? So, but anyways, God has used this girl in a, in a mighty way as our firstborn. We're proud of each of our, our children, definitely. We're thankful for the Lord's touch on each of their lives. We thank God. And I, and I want to encourage each parent that's here, each grandparent that's here, thank God every day for your children or grandchildren. Don't miss that privilege and that opportunity. They're a blessing from the Lord. And so remember that they are, and remember that they are entrusted to you. They are entrusted to you. Okay. So very, very important. I'm sure there's other stories. There's other stories you could probably get, but I, I'm very thankful for the way that God worked in our lives. But you know what? Our phase, you know, when you become a caregiver, that most caregivers are not professional caregivers. About 85% of the caregivers here in the United States are uh, like family members, things like that. They're not necessarily paid professionals per se. But a lot of times when someone becomes a caregiver, um, it happens at a moment's notice. Your life is changed in a, in a moment. And that's what happened with Linnea. We became caregivers in that way. And But what we have seen in our lives is this, that God doesn't waste suffering. He uses it for our good and for his glory. We have seen that over and over with each of our children, with each things that have happened in our lives. And God has, has richly blessed us through that. Now, one thing I will say this, that where do you go when you have a crisis of faith? When a, your child, for example, is basically, you don't know what's going on medically. You're hanging on, waiting for answers. Where do you go for help? Where do you turn to? And I'll be honest with you, I, I, my heart goes out. I mean, back a few months ago, uh, I was uh, with, with Benjamin with his hemophilia. We were, um, I was at the children's hospital downtown. And uh, we were waiting to be seen. Another family sat fairly close to us. And uh, the mother was on borderline sobbing. She was just really trying to hold it back. And she had there a child with, uh, with terminal cancer. 
So we just have a few months left. What do you say? What do you say to that? Your heart just breaks. And, you know, we, it was just a very quick, very quick conversation. It was over probably in 10 seconds. But, you know, I didn't even have a chance to really respond other than say, okay, I'm going to pray. And we did. We prayed for that lady and for that family there. I don't know if they're a believer or not, but I don't know how people can go through life without the Lord, put it that way. And whether you go through that deep of a crisis in your life or maybe everything went great, you had a wonderful delivery and everything came out wonderful and have a celebration, God bless you. That's wonderful. That's how it should be, right? We, we, we thank God for those moments. So the thing is this, no matter what crisis you experience in your life, and each and every one will face a crisis to some degree or another, folks, that is, is probably not unique, but it's unique to you, okay? When you go through that crisis, who do you turn to? Who do you cling to? And I want us to direct our, our focus today to the promises of God. A father's faith will rest in the promises of God. And that's what we see through this story here, okay? I want to, first of all, kind of set the stage, though, about this, that there was a challenge of faith, a challenge of belief, really not by the nobleman himself per se, but by the people uh, of that area of the, of the Galilee. It says here, beginning in verse 43, John 4, verse 43, says, Now after two days he departed thence, Jesus, and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, uh, for they went uh, also went unto the feast. So what the story is this, that Jesus is now returning into Galilee. Remember in John chapter 4 that he's, uh, actually go back, John 3. Let's go back a little farther, okay? John 2, John 2, wedding at Cana. John 3, Nicodemus. John 4, he goes north to Samaria, the woman at the well. Now John, the end of John 4, he's now making his way back to Galilee. And that's, remember, Capernaum is becoming his new hometown. And uh, by the way, you want to come with us to Capernaum? I'm supposed to get a call this week from our tour guide about the tour coming up November 2024. All right, throw that in, commercial. <laughs> it's fun, all right. But Jesus is now heading back. But he stops back in Cana. Uh, he does it maybe for a couple reasons. He has family there. Uh, Nathaniel, one of his disciples, lives in Cana, okay? So there might be a couple reasons why he's there. But nonetheless, he is there, and it says here, he's entering that Galilee, that's the lower Galilee area. And there at the, at the lower Galilee, the Galileans come to him, and it says here in verse 40, uh, 45 that they received him having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. Most likely, uh, we believe that he was coming up from Jerusalem from the Feast of Passover, so in the spring. So this is probably early summer-ish by the time he's getting to this point, more or less. That's what we believe anyway. And so, but it says at the very end of John 2 that Jesus actually did, we know the first miracle was what in Cana? Turns the water to wine. We know that, but the Bible says at the end of John 2 that Jesus did other miracles. They're not exactly mentioned exactly what happened, but nonetheless, there were witnesses to that. And here in John 4, we, we kind of see that. But the idea is this. I want to point this out here. Jesus was welcomed or received. Look at verse 45. He was welcomed or received, but with conditions. What do we mean by that? The word uh, received here means welcome. He was, it was a sign of hospitality. Jesus, you are welcome here. Why is that? because he was somewhat of a celebrity. They knew that he changed water into wine. They had heard or seen the miracles he did in Jerusalem. And now he's coming back in. And guess what? Hey, Jesus, you're the miracle worker. Yeah, you're welcome to come here. Come have a place, sit with us, sit a spell. We would love to talk to you, get to know you. It was more on a 
Put it this way, more of a curiosity. So Jesus was welcomed with, with conditions. Why? Even though he was welcomed, the people did not yet believe on him. There's the difference. There's a lot of people in this world that, yeah, they welcome Jesus, at least to their liking, to their conditions, how they perceive Jesus or even parts of the Bible, whatever they want to do. There's a lot of people who welcome Jesus, but they don't really believe in Jesus. There's a big difference, folks. So this is what happens here in the Galilee. You see here this, that people sought him for his miracles, but not for his mission. This is what's going on. The people sought him for his miracles, but not for his mission. Remember when Jesus later on feeds the 5,000, actually that's the only miracle mentioned in each of the four gospels, that that miracle there, people followed him from all over the world simply because what? He could make bread and multiply it and fish as well. Who wouldn't want to follow someone who could feed you all the time, right? Has some practical advantages to that, but they would not follow him they follow him because of his miracles, but not because of his mission. Why? What was the mission of Christ? To fulfill the will of him that sent him. To fulfill the will of the Father. To go to the cross. To die for our sins on that old rugged cross. That was his mission. To give us forgiveness and hope and a relationship with him. You see this. The important thing is this. That the faith of a father rests in the promise of God. Now we enter in here the need for faith. We talk here about the, uh, the, the, uh, the nobleman. Verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cain of Galilee where he made water into wine. There, there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So this nobleman here, the idea of nobleman, he was a royal official. Uh, there is some debate if he was actually Jewish or not. Actually, he was probably more so Gentile because of the type of work he did. But the idea is that he worked for Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great, the same one who killed the babies in Bethlehem. Herod Antipas had the rule over the Galilee area, the northern part of Israel. And so he worked in some official capacity as some type of a, a statesman or uh, some type of official there. But here's something very interesting. He, it says here, here's a nobleman. That's his status. But look at his situation. His son was sick under Capernaum, or is sick at Capernaum. It says in verse 47, when he had heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him. He urged him that he would come down and heal his son. He was at the point of death. Here's something to take away from this right now. We can see every person will eventually face tragedy. It doesn't escape us, folks. Every person will eventually face tragedy. You see, this creates a crisis of faith. You see, his need was greater than his name. A nobleman, yes, he could get into places. He had status. He had prestige. He had privileges. Uh, he could go places where other people couldn't. That was the nobleman. But understand that this, his need that he had was for his son. His son was sick to death, okay? But his need was greater than his name. And folks, this really talks about when we come to Christ is to really understand who we really are. That no matter what title we may have, folks, that doesn't truly define us. The thing is that we are sinners in need of a Savior, folks. That's ultimately what we need. All right? So very important. The nobleman's request, again, his son was sick, nine to death. The nobleman's request is not just a prayer, but it was an expectation of healing found in the presence of Jesus. He wanted Jesus to come to Capernaum. Come, I want you to see my son. Heal him. Do that. He wanted his son, therefore, to experience the presence of Jesus through that to be healed. Very important as we see this. I think this, which is interesting, when we look at these miracles, the miracle here at Cana that happened, 
And the other miracle at Cana, both it's interesting. The first two recorded miracles both happened at Cana. Cana, the first time the water is changed to wine, and the second time Jesus is healing this nobleman's son. Okay? But here's the thing. The first recorded miracle was at a family celebration, a wedding in John 2. The second recorded miracle here in John 4 was during a, a time of family desperation. From a time of family celebration to a time of family desperation. Here's a child on the brink of death. And here they're crying out to Jesus for help. Very important. The father here longed for his son to experience the presence and healing touch of Jesus. I think one thing that we can glean, and I think this is an encouragement, here's a quick application, folks, is that would that every father, every parent desire and pray that their children be introduced to Jesus. This is something very, very important, folks, that we're missing even a lot of churches. Guys, I'm talking to the dads right now and grandfathers, make it a priority to introduce Jesus to your family. Lead them in that direction. This is so, so important in these days, folks. We need men with backbones, men with conviction, men with courage. But you know what? We need them to, we need to lead our families in the ways of the Lord. Be that example. Lead others to Christ. And that starts with our own family. That starts with our children. Like I said, this father, he longed for Jesus to simply come to his son and to heal him, have that personal touch. And this is the thing. This is an encounter with Jesus. Look at when people encounter Jesus no matter where they are in life, that their life changed. Some rebelled even more against him, but most of the time, their lives were changed for the good. Here's the point. Your faith, I believe, will grow with each encounter with Jesus. And sometimes it will take a crisis of faith to get you to that point. Man, I've been working in my own strength and my own flesh all this time, and man, I desperately need Jesus. Guess what? He's been there the whole time, and he knows exactly what you need. He's ready to help you. He's ready to receive you. He's going to be there for you. How desperately we need the presence of Jesus. You see, our faith will grow each, with each encounter of Christ. The faith of a father rests on the promises of God. But let's talk about a motive of faith. Really, what was this guy, uh, is there a faith check? Let's put it this way. Is there a faith check? A motive of faith, verse 48. Jesus says to him, to the nobleman, Except he see signs and wonders, he will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere or be, before my child dies, is the idea here. You see, Jesus here was addressing the nobleman uh, for his motive of faith, but it wasn't just directed at the nobleman, at this royal official, but also to the people that were present, the witnesses that were there. Because why? Remember the, Gal the Galileans, they welcomed Jesus because of his miracles, but not because of his mission. And so they're checking, what is really, why are you really coming to me? And I got to ask you that question, guys. When you have a need to go to Jesus, why are you really going to Jesus? Because you just want something fixed? Hey, guys, we have a fix-it mentality. We, some, something's broke. Someone's stranded down the highway. What's a guy's usual impulse? Oh, what's he got under that hood, right? <laughs> Where's that spear? I know I can do that. You know, the guys have this fix-it mentality. We can do that. And I think sometimes we're looking to Jesus for that quick and easy fix. But here's the thing. We need to also understand what is the motive of us going to Jesus? What's the motive of our faith? Okay, it's not just of that man, but also of the people in general. You're, you're going to welcome Jesus. Great. Maybe get a little help, maybe a little bread or wine on the side, whatever Jesus gives at that miracle, right? But what is the real reason? And Jesus said, except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I like what one commentator says this. Signs and wonders from God are usually, are, are obviously good things. 
but they should not form the foundation of our faith. That's very important, folks. In the Bible, there were a lot of signs and wonders or people are expecting here, they're expecting the Red Sea to part for them. But here's the thing. Signs and wonders are obviously good things, but they should not form the foundation of our faith. We should not depend on them to prove God to us. God, I'll believe you if you fix my problem. God, I'll believe in you if you heal my child. There's some people who believe that way, and I think maybe that we're growing in our faith. Give a little bit of grace there, but really that's not the foundation of our faith, folks. You see this. In themselves, signs and wonders cannot change the heart. Five loaves and two fishes that feed 5,000, folks. People's stomachs were filled, but hearts were not changed. What changes hearts? It's the belief in Christ for who he really is and his mission. You see, going back, let's think of Israel at Mount Sinai, for example. The children of Israel saw incredible signs at Mount Sinai. They even heard the very voice of God in the giving of the Ten Commandments, for example. But yet a short time later, they worshipped a golden calf. They saw signs and wonders, but they did not really believe. They welcomed God, but they really didn't believe in God. That's the difference, folks. How much we need to know Jesus Christ personally and the great God of heaven, our Heavenly Father. Charles Spurgeon says this, what is the sign and wonder, really? He says this, is not the gospel its own sign and wonder? Is not this a miracle of miracles, that God so loved the world and he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him might not perish? Surely, that solemn promise, him that cometh unto me I will no wise cast out, are better signs and wonders. A truthful Savior ought to be believed. He is truth itself, and there's no reason to ask proof of the one who cannot lie. Man, that nails it, folks. The gospel is sufficient, folks. The good news, the person of Jesus Christ, that we believe on him. You see this, what do the, how do the, the nobleman respond to them? He says, he basically doubles down. The nobleman said, sir, come down, error, before my child die. He, he is a sense of even more urgency. The father persisted. And here's the thing, with obedience and trust, there can be no real faith. You know, Jesus might give a promise. The Bible says something here. Oh, that sounds great. I even believe it, but do we act upon it? The Father, and this is what's happening here. Obviously, the faith of a father rests in the promises of God. But let's talk now about the power of faith. Verse 50. Jesus saith unto him, unto the nobleman, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Let's look at the power of faith here. Power of faith in what Jesus said. Jesus challenged his father's faith that he could heal from a distance just as well as by his presence. You understand this, that there was about 20 miles or so distance between Cana and Capernaum. About 20 miles, okay? This man came all the way there to Cana to ask Jesus to come to Capernaum and heal him. He Obviously, he had touched others and all that. Why can't he come? But here's the thing. Jesus had power over over time and over space. Very important, as we see here. This was a challenge to believe in the power of Jesus' words. In other words, Jesus knows from a distance. Did you know that? He knows what we need from a distance. Earlier on, this theme is kind of repeated or given earlier. Remember when Jesus calls Nathaniel to be one of his disciples? What does he say? Before, uh, basically, before you're under the fig tree, I, I saw thee when you were there. How did Nathanael respond to Jesus' words? He said, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. He understood who Jesus really was. He believed in him. You see, Jesus knows from a distance 
I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel, and to the man, the nobleman here, yes, I can heal your son at Capernaum as well. That talks about the omniscience and omnipresence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He can do that. You see this, how then do we have power for our faith? Man, you said, man, my faith is weak. We're going through the ringer. When you go and you're exhausted, you're frustrated, you don't have many answers, say, so how can we have faith? You see, the power of faith is not found in our strength. Not found in our understanding, folks, as much as it's found in the object of our faith. That's Jesus Christ. You know, I think a lot of times when we have faith, it's really faith in ourselves, what I can do or can't do. And guess what? Our faith is small when that happens. Jesus, and through this story, we're seeing that Jesus is the object of our faith. You see, when we trust in Jesus, our faith in Jesus, it brings change to our lives. Look at the progression that's ha- is here in verse 50. So Jesus said this word, I Go thy way. Go home. Your son lives. He says, the man, first of all, look at this. There's three things. If you want to do a little outline, follow along. Ready? The man, first of all, believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. Okay? And he went his way, as we think about that. First of all, the saying, thy son liveth, right there. That was instant healing. When Jesus said those words, and we find that a little bit later, it happened instantly. In other words, that, guy, that kid just doesn't become better. Oh, you know, he'll be better in a couple days now. He'll, he'll make it. No, it was an instantaneous healing that was there. Praise God for that. There was instant healing. The next phrase, believe the word. This was instantaneous faith. He trusted in the world. In other words, the noble says, well, you know, when I got back home, I'll start believing then. No, he believed on Jesus' words right then and there. That was instantaneous healing, instantaneous faith. And then it says he went his way. He started on his way home. In other words, he acted on his faith. Very interesting as well, okay? But also the, the faith in Jesus, it brings life to us. Faith in Jesus brings life. The word life here is actually in this passage is mentioned three times. Look with me in verse 50, okay? It says, go thy way, the son liveth. Verse 51, and now as he was going down, a servant's met him and told him, saying, thy son liveth. There's the, the word again. In verse 53, it says here, the, the father knew that it was the same hour in which he say, Jesus said to him, thy son liveth. So the, the idea that he lives. In other words, faith in Jesus brings change, but also brings life. Like I said, life is mentioned here three times, and this emphasizes that Jesus is the messianic source of life. Jesus comes, doesn't just make you feel better, folks. He gives you true life, okay? The faith of a father has to rest upon the promise of God. But what's the testimony of faith? His faith was deep in his personal experience with God's power. He experienced that firsthand. It says here in verse 53, So the father knew that it was at the same hour which Jesus said to them, and he himself believed in his whole house. The word himself believed, it's not just the words of Jesus, but complete faith in Jesus himself as the Messiah. He believed not just in the miracles of Jesus, but he believed in the person and the mission of Jesus. It also says here, The father believed. The father believed even from a distance, and this is evidence of a confident faith that he had. It's interesting here, the, the phrase he says, and yesterday at verse 52, it says, when does this happen? When did he start getting better? And they said, yesterday at the, verse 52, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. This is about 1 p.m., 1 in the afternoon, they believe, okay? And so, in other words, he comes there the next day. He got healed yesterday, he comes there the next day. In other words, he could have walked back to Capernaum in about four hours or so. You could do that. But here's the deal. He waited. He waited overnight. Maybe stayed with someone. 
In other words, why? He had complete peace and trust that Jesus did what he said to do. Pretty amazing when you think about that. So this was a demonstration of his faith. You know, in fear, the nobleman ran to Caper, uh, from Capernaum to Cana. And in faith, he walked from Cana back to Capernaum. Interesting. He ran to Cana, and now he's walking back. Pretty amazing when you think about that. And his faith spread to his household. This is a great testimony. When a father leads his family to believe and follow Jesus. You know, it's interesting. When you see strong Christian families, it's because usually the father leads the way who has trusted Jesus Christ. When there is a disruption in the family, if there's children who grow up and to get saved, if the father's down the picture, the father doesn't invest in spiritual things, folks, it's very hard for their children to really understand who Jesus is and come to know him. You see the statistics going down and down. Fathers, we need to do our best. We need to trust God and teach that to our, our kids. Follow Jesus. See, the faith of a father rests the promises of God. So I'm kind of wrapping this up with a challenge today. The nobleman began his trip with a crisis of faith. He was desperate for his son, but he left with a confident faith. He believed Jesus' words and left in peace. And his confident faith led to a confirmed faith that his son, guess what? He was actually healed, folks. He, it really did come true. Praise God. And then this became a contagious faith. Because why? Not just he, but his whole household believed. Pretty amazing. The miracles of Cana are presented to call those who witness them to surrender and to believe in Jesus. At the wedding at Cana, the disciples believed after he turned the water into wine. Here, now at Cana, the second time, the father of the nobleman and his household believed after the boy had been healed. You see, these miracles, these things that are written, the summary of the book of John, it says this in John 20, 31, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life through his name. Folks, we don't need just to welcome Jesus. We need to believe in Jesus. Very, very important. The miracles of Jesus call us to have an active faith. The one who heals the sick from the brink of death is the one who gives life to those who are spiritually dead. Believe his words. Trust in his promises. And the faith of a father, or anyone for that matter, needs to rest on the promises of God. Folks, this is a great lesson, great Great challenge for us today as we think about Jesus and his work for, uh, for us on our behalf. Lord, we need, to, we need to trust in Jesus. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, guess what? There's a great need. Each and every one of us are born sinners. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all born with that dark heart. And there's nothing that we can do to get ourselves to heaven, folks. That's why God in his holiness and his grace, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross to take our sins away. You can't take away your sins, folks. Only Jesus can do it. And through his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection, he secured our hope and our our faith that we have through him our faith has found a resting place not in device nor creed it's found in jesus christ folks if you're here today you've never trusted jesus as your savior please do that glad to show you from the bible how you can know that for sure and if you have trusted him follow him in in, in obedience follow him if you've never been baptized before follow him in believers baptism uh, become part of a church folks grow get in his word be around believers sing pray do everything you can and, and i want you to encounter jesus and when you do it, each encounter you will grow in your faith just like this nobleman did what a blessing this is. The faith of a father needs to rest on the promises of God.